CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. We're glad to have you with us for the start of another week here on our show. Um, And uh, we continue, this is our third week now, to do the show from remote locations uh, today around the state. I continue to do the show out of my house in uh, the Decatur area. Jim Galloway will join me in a minute. He's out at his place up in West Cobb County. Um, And uh, for for the time being, All of our panelists will continue to join us by telephone. Um, Jim Galloway is here. Uh, He, of course, is the lead political writer for the AJC. You read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the newspaper, and he oversees the Political Insider blog. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? Oh, we're doing fine. We're doing fine. It's uh, a little bit uh, uh, isolating, I guess. That's the the, the most overused word, I suppose, uh, these days. Yeah. But uh, we're here. Yeah. Right. Well, we we really appreciate your continuing to be able to be part of Political Rewind in these difficult times. Uh, We're joined also by Patricia Murphy. She's a syndicated columnist who writes for Roll Call. She worked on the Hill for Senator Sam Nunn and Max Cleveland. And now I'm really always happy to be able to say is uh, now a reporter uh, for GPB show The Lawmakers, which has gone into an unexpected hiatus, uh, Patricia. Yes, I. It feels very showbiz to say my show is on hiatus, you know. But we'll um, we'll pick it up <laughs> as soon as the legislature is back. We will be back, and I think the end of it will be yeah. just as uh, interesting, if not more so, than the beginning. Yeah, yeah, we're going to watch that very closely. Also joining us from Savannah, Adam Van Brimmer. He's the editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News and uh, Savannah Now, which is the online version of the paper. Adam, uh, thank you for joining us today. A little later in the show, we're going to talk to you, get a portrait from you of how things are going down in Savannah, where some couple of days ago, your mayor imposed a shelter-in-place order. But for the time being, let me just say, hi, how are you doing, Adam? Hi, Bill. Very good. Thank you for having me. It's been about two weeks since I had a pair of dress shoes on, so that's always, uh, I guess, if there's a silver lining in this whole deal, that's one of them, right? (laughs) Okay. Um, I want to first, before we're going to introduce, we have a very special uh, guest for the show today. Before I introduce him, I want to give you the latest on what we know about coronavirus in the state of Georgia. Uh, this is these figures are as of noon yesterday, um, and and they're of course disconcerting. We now have twenty six hundred eighty three confirmed cases of the virus. That's up a hundred. That's up a thousand forty cases since we were on the air Friday. Sadly, we've had eighty-three deaths, uh, twenty-seven of them over the weekend. Uh, we know that the virus continues to strike hard in Metro Atlanta. W- what's really interesting, but it's now in, by the way, like a hundred thirteen plus counties across the state. What's really interesting is, in terms of people who have been tested and confirmed, and, and that means. That's probably just a small number of what might really be the case out there. It's interesting that 56% of those people tested positive are between the ages of 18 and 59, whereas uh, only 35% are people age 60 
and over, which defies some of the more stereotypical expectations that we had about the disease striking harder at older people. And at some point, we're going to talk about just what that may mean. All right, let's do this. I, I, I want to bring in the mayor of Albany, Georgia, Bo Duro. Uh, mayor Duro has been facing, along with his uh, uh, public health leaders in the, in the uh, city, one of the most difficult hotspots in the eastern United States, really. Mayor Duro, I'm uh, looking at the figures for uh, uh, your town and for the county around you from Phoebe Putney, uh, which is your medical center down there. You have had um, at least uh, 16 deaths in Phoebe Putney Memorial Hospital, an additional two at Phoebe Sumter. And we, we won't even go into all of the other confirmed cases of the disease. But first of all, Mayor, thank you so much for taking time to join us today. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, let me start, and I'll give everybody a chance to ask you a question. But, but I want to make a point here that I think people have been reading about Albany and the, uh, and the troubles you've been having with the virus there. I think not just across the state of Georgia, but you've been in the national news. We learned over the weekend that you have a sad statistic. On a per capita basis, you have more cases of virus than all but three other cities in the world at this point. But here's the point that I want to make. You were just sworn in as mayor in January. You have only had a couple of months in office, uh, and now you're confronting this uh, dreadful crisis. This is not, Mayor, how I imagined you expected your first term in office would begin. Well, I mean, that's, that's true, Bill. Obviously, you know, when you, when you run for office, you, you um, have objectives. We were going to try to reverse the loss of population, strengthen the local economy, reduce crime, lift citizens out of poverty. But all that's kind of put on the back burner when something like this strikes. So, but we are in Albany, fortunately, uh, not fortunately, but we have encountered and overcome natural disasters in the past 20 years. And I think that in some ways that helped us prepare for what we found ourselves in the middle of a maelstrom um, before we really knew what was going on. Mayor, uh, I know you have a team of CDC public health workers that have come down there to help you. Um, give us, if you would, it, just a picture of how the community uh, is faring right now in terms of the widespread nature of the virus there, what it's done to, your, to, to the citizens of the, of the communities uh, in and around Albany, uh, what it's done to closing down the businesses. Just give us a brief picture of what it feels like to be in the middle of, uh, of, of Albany right now. Well, the vast majority of our citizens and businesses have been, been cooperative. I think most people understand the gravity of the situation. And, um, but of course, we, are, do have, we do have some problems with non-compliance with these executive orders. I could go through sort of the chronology, Bill, if that's what you wanted to here, but I mean, at present, of course, um, all the gyms, bars, nightclubs, the theaters closed, city recreation facilities are closed, the libraries are closed, and um, pursuant to an executive order that was entered last Sunday, what's termed non-essential businesses are, have been directed to suspend operations. 
Jim Galloway? Uh, yeah, Mayor, uh, thanks for coming on with us. I, I really appreciate uh, you devoting this time in a, uh, during, the, during a, a crisis like this. Uh, the question, my question for you is, I mean, given the fact that you've got, as Bill said, the highest per capita rate of infection in 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 most of the world, when when you run across people who are skeptics, who who are not sheltering in place, who are who 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 continue to want to, want to gather, what what kind of excuses are you getting, or are your people getting? I just find that uh, it, it's it's given the serious situation, I, I find that hard to fathom. Well, Jim. Some of it, I think, is, is explained by the fact we were all teenagers and in our young tw- 20s at one point in time. I think um, a lot of our um, younger residents just don't appreciate um, the fact that they could contract the virus and spread the virus, even though they never exhibit symptoms. And that's why they need to stay at home. We're having problems with some young people um, congregating. We are trying to manage this executive order. Um, the executive order requires that businesses maintain um, social distances between patrons. Some patrons aren't um, recognizing it. Um, then again, there are people who are um, gathering in despite um, the terms of the executive order and the directive of, of, of the governor. So the, the problem here is even if a small percentage of the population is non-compliant, that increases the risk of continued spread of the virus. Have, have you have you made any uh, have you made any arrests or, or or issued any fines or are you just just trying to persuade people at this point? Well, we've been trying to persuade people, but um, at, at this there are reports of. Um, Businesses which continue to operate that are, have clearly been notified they're not essential businesses. Um, people who uh, continue to congregate after having been instructed to disperse. And so at this point in time, the police are going to issue citations. You know, there's been an interesting um, recommendation that people who are um, cited for violating um, shelter-in-place orders could be placed on a list, and that would disqualify them from stimulus money. I think that might be a um, a very effective incentive. Uh, uh, Patricia, you want to jump in? Uh, yes. Hi, Mr. Mayor. It's Patricia Murphy with GPB. Thanks for joining us. Um, I be, we have been, I think, so alarmed at the struggles of Phoebe Putney Hospital. Um, and I'd be interested to know, beyond the the hospital itself, how is this affecting your own city operations. Um, I don't know if there's anything that y'all are doing to support the hospital or if this is affecting um, your job on a day-to-day basis. Oh, oh absolutely. And it is a collaborative effort. We have a task force and um, administrators and um, the chief physician at Phoebe are involved. But as you, as you know, or probably aware, Phoebe, like many hospitals throughout the country, had a shortage of nurses even before the coronavirus struck our community. Um, we know that several nurses and other providers have been exposed. Um, the chronology here, there was an excellent article, I don't know if you saw it, that Mr. Schrade wrote in the Atlanta Journal about um, the, the outbreak has, the primary outbreak has been um, connected 
to um, two funeral services, the first of which was on February 28th, and a gentleman who um, was in town to attend that service was admitted to Phoebe Putney, and this was before um, there was a confirmed case in the state. And apparently he was hospitalized, he was triaged, and because of his medical history, he was treated as someone um, with a chronic pulmonary problem. Well, this gentleman, after he was stabilized, was transferred to Atlanta. He passed away a few days later, following which it was determined that he had coronavirus. And so Phoebe Putney had several nurses and other providers who had been exposed to him without protective equipment for five or six days. And these um, employees had to be taken out of the rotation, further depleting the workforce. And um, that is one thing that I've learned in the last two weeks, what they call health spread. And apparently um, nurses and other healthcare professionals who work in close proximity to patients with COVID-19 are particularly susceptible to um, infection. Uh, Adam Van Brimmer, I want to give you a chance to get in here. But as I do, I I want to read you a quick update that came out at uh, last night, close to midnight, from Phoebe Putney uh, that will help us move the conversation forward with the mayor. Here's what Phoebe Putney says. Over the last 20 hours, Phoebe received its largest number of daily COVID-19 test results so far, The 364 total results included 125 positives, 239 negatives. There hadn't been any additional deaths. Um, So they're they're doing more testing, uh, and uh, and that's a positive thing. And I just wanted to get that in there before you jump in here, Adam. Uh, Could could I say something, Bill? Um, Yeah, sure. That is a problem um, because it's all going to happen all over the country, but particularly being on the front line here in Albany, there were only a limited number of test kits initially. And so the um, physicians were what they called judicious in administering the test, and that meant they wouldn't test someone unless they were presented with the symptoms, which are fever, cough, and shortness of breath. So as a result, we were getting only a limited number of of tests administered. But to compound that problem, the um, few labs in the country who could process, we call the test, it's really nothing but a sample. And um, they were so overwhelmed, it was five to 10 days before we were getting test results back. Adam? Hey, good morning, Mr. Mayor. Uh, Here in Savannah, we're we're home to the, the region's trauma, big trauma hospital. And I'm really curious, and you've kind of touched on this a little bit, is from a healthcare and from a dealing with with sick people coming in, what are some of the lessons learned that, that you guys have really grasped that maybe you can share with the rest of us as, yeah. as our cases yeah. start to climb? Adam, certainly we want um, um, other communities to take advantage of something that we didn't have, and that's the time and opportunity to prepare for this. Um, our, the CEO of Phoebe Putney, I was reading an article, they actually had purchased additional supplies and um, personal protective equipment once um, the news of the virus, um, we're talking early this year, but they keep, the, the representatives of the hospital have been telling us they're burning through supplies, and I didn't know what that was until last weekend, the 
Um, Chief of Staff said they're going through 46,000 pairs of gloves a day, 5,800 surgical masks a day, 1,500 respiratory masks a day, and 800 pair of goggles. So, I mean, we are, the hospital is continually, I mean, every 48 hours, they're out of PPE, and fortunately, there have been um, supplies, some from the state, some from the national stockpile, and some from other hospitals that have come to augment and, I guess, defer the, the crisis of not having adequate equipment. But there again, another thing here, and you heard the president talk about it, um, ventilators, an inordinate number of, of um, patients who have um, severe symptoms go into rest respiratory failure. I said, I mean, 5% of the patients is what I'm, I'm hearing, and they require medical ventilation. They require, also need to stay on the ventilators for extended period of times, and um, as a result, Phoebe on two occasions has um, been provided, and we're grateful. The state provided um, five. We had um, 20 ventilators provided from another source, and as a result, they've been able to accommodate um, the number of patients who are, who are critically ill. Are you getting the support or, Mayor, or maybe a better way to ask the question is, is what other kind of support from a, from a healthcare perspective do you guys, are you most desperate for right now? Well, Adam, you, 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 you know, this is what you, we need to know. It, this shortage of nurses is a problem throughout the country. And um, I think hospitals and other communities in the state of, Georgia need to go ahead and put in a plan or how are you going to staff? I'm hearing um, that many of these nurses at Phoebe Putney are working 72 hours a week, but um, there's a shortage of ventilators. There needs to be um, a contingency plan, obviously, but um, this is an opportunity that other communities have to um, prepare for what is I hope this doesn't happen in Columbus and Augusta and Macon and Savannah, but by every indication, maybe not to the extent, but it's it's coming. Well, Mayor, that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about. Uh, you're certainly aware of the fact that for a couple of weeks now, Governor Kemp has been under a lot of pressure to issue a blanket order uh, for uh, communities across the state to shelter in place. The governor has felt uh, repeatedly has said that that's not necessary because there are communities, counties, where there is virtually no virus and he doesn't feel those counties should have to abide by shelter-in-place regulations. He thinks they should be allowed to continue with commerce and that sort of thing. But given what you're going through there and given what you've just said about hoping that this doesn't uh, happen to the degree you've got it in Albany, how do you feel about the fact there's not a statewide shelter-in-place order? Well, I mean, Bill, I, 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 I'm, I can only say um, we were on a conference call with the governor, and um, there were county commissioners from contiguous counties and other places in southwest Georgia, mayors from cities, and some county administrators on the 24th, and the governor was, was very pointed he um, advised these gentlemen, people in your counties are dying as well. This is a regional problem, and it requires prompt and decisive action to protect the people of southwest Georgia. I understand, and, and I could give you a list. The, the governor said, we're prepared, and we're in the process of doing these things. 
and the governor has been um, very attentive and very helpful. But um, I think we're going to come to the, the, the point, and we are gradually um, ramping up um, the restrictions we place on people. It is it's difficult, but um, I think it is better to do more and not less and to do it sooner rather than later to reduce um, the, the spread of the virus. You know, Jim, there seems to be some confusion coming out of the governor's office. Uh, and and, and I, here's what I mean by that. Tell me if you think I'm wrong, and we'll get everybody else into this, including you, Mayor. I, on one hand, the, the governor has uh, has supported communities like Albany, like Savannah, where they have, in fact, issued uh, stronger orders. They've taken stronger measures to uh, have people keep uh, proper social distance, that sort of thing. Uh, on the other hand, we're now hearing out of the governor's office that there's some frustration that there's this patchwork of different standards being applied in different communities. Uh, Jim, I don't see how you can have it both ways. No, no, and it's 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 a it's it's inconsistent and a little contradictory. And 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 people are taking note. O over the weekend, you had uh, Tim Fleming, who is the the governor's uh, chief of staff, posted uh, put up a, a long Facebook post, uh, kind of uh, going after these complaints. And he and other other conservatives are have have pointed at at it's what they think are some mistakes in the modeling. Uh, for instance, they've been uh, they've been going after uh, Del Rio, the our, our Dr. Del Rio of of, of Grady Grady at Emory, uh, for some of uh, some of his predictions uh, that that the Georgia Municipal Association has relied on, and uh, that's uh, uh, you know they're they're saying it's inaccurate. Yeah, it's it's it's. It's 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 holding up pretty well right now, and uh, and Del Rio himself will tell you that he would love to be wrong on the on this. Patricia, you want to jump back in? Well, I do think that the mixed messages. Um, I think everybody is sending a message that it is serious, and the question is just how serious. And so, for the average Georgian sitting at home, wondering if they if they're if they can get together with their neighbors across the street or can they just run to the store really quickly or maybe run, get their hair done. Um, when you have a message coming from the governor that, well, it's up to every locality um, and some of those localities are doing a lot less than others and that's okay. Um, I think that is a message that tells individual Georgians, maybe it's not as bad as we were told. And I think that's the real difference is, yeah, the, is the mixed message and what it does to the individual making choices. You know what, Mayor, I think that what, um, and I know you have to go in a minute, but, but I think Patricia just made a, a point that we ought to uh, uh, have you comment on. If there, are, if there are messages coming, initially from the White House until this weekend, if messages coming from the governor's office saying this isn't necessarily bad in some parts of the state, so we don't want to shut everything down, um, do you fear that it's that kind of uh, mixed messaging or uh, refusal to be really firm in how we deal with this in a statewide or, or national way that leads people, Mayor, to want to go out and, and mingle with one another, to, to not pay as close attention to the social distancing, to making sure they're washing their hands properly? Is it creating an atmosphere uh, of forgiveness about all of this? Well, I, I, it's not for me to speculate 
is a decision-making process in the state capitol. But, and, and like I say, I, I am appreciative of what the governor's office has done for Albany and southwest Georgia, but I think we need to understand this is not a natural disaster. This is a public health emergency. And that gets back to what I said. We, we need to take um, decisive action. And, and um, if we exercise precautions and um, it reduces the number of deaths, I think it, in the long run, it would really reduce the economic impact that we all understand um, is going to uh, follow the, the, this epidemic. I, I got to ask you one last question before I let you go. Listeners to Political Rewind have been uh, very clear in their, their um wanting to be engaged as much as possible, caring about what's happening across the state and across the country. What can we do to help you, Mayor? I mean, you're getting help from the state, as you say. Hopefully you're going to get some of the federal funds that are going to be released now that Georgia's been granted emergency status. But what can people like me and our panel and the people around us do to offer any kind of help of any sort at all? Well, obviously, think about us. Pray for us. I mean, we are, we have heroes down here that, Bill, we take for granted every day. The nurses, the police officers, I mean, the first responders. We have EMS officers who, in the early stages of, of this um, onslaught, actually went into a home to remove uh, a body, and that gentleman, unbeknownst to them, had died of the coronavirus. So, um, but Take the precautions. I mean, here, if wash your hands repeatedly throughout the day with soap and water. Exercise social distancing. If you have the symptoms, do not go to the emergency room. Contact your primary care physician. If you go to the emergency room and you have the virus, you can infect other people. Or if you don't have the virus, you might come in contact with it. Repeatedly sanitize services, your workspace, your cell phones, your keypads throughout the day. And if anybody's sick, they need to stay home. And if you've been diagnosed with the virus, please do not go in public. Um, just exercise these precautions. And, and one thing we hadn't talked about is uh, protecting the elderly because um, we know that they're the most susceptible to the virus and, and those are the, that segment of the population is generally having the worst outcomes. Well, Mayor, I appreciate your uh, offering us advice on how we can take care of ourselves, and, and we will continue to think about you, keep us, uh, you and the people of your community in our, our thoughts. Uh, thank you so much for spending time with us today and uh, with, uh, with continued uh, efforts in your community. I hope the spread down there uh, slows down as quickly as possible. Thanks so well, much, May Mayor Duro. Thank you, Mr. Uh, let's do this. Let's get a break out of the way. And when we come back, we've got a lot more to talk about on Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. We're back on uh, Political Rewind. Patricia Murphy, Jim Galloway, Adam Van Brimmer 
all join us today. Adam, I want to start with you because it was, uh, I guess, just about a little less than a week ago that your mayor, Van Johnson, issued a basic shelter-in-place order. I got an email uh, late last week from a listener who's a Savannah resident who's very frustrated because he believes that the order is largely being ignored in Savannah. He, he works in a job where he uh, pumps and cleans uh, portable toilets for a living, and he called his boss after the order was put in place and, and asked whether he was, uh, had to work or not, and, the, and the, uh, the boss said, absolutely you do. Are people following the order down there, Adam? He's not the only one that's a little frustrated. The city council has had daily conference calls, and almost every day one of them voices some kind of frustration with the, the widespread ignoring of the call. And it, it kind of goes back to what guys were talking about earlier is the city of Savannah has one order. Unincorporated Chatham County has another. The municipalities in the county, which I, I'm going off the top of my head, I think there's nine in Chatham County, uh, all have different ones. So uh, it, whether it's confusion or just ignoring the orders or what have you, it has not gone as smoothly as it could. And then, of course, it all started here with the whole idea of this sprung up at one of the most social times of the year for the people around here, and that was the St. Patrick's Day Festival and St. Patrick's Day celebration. And when that came up and the mayor ended up canceling that, and it just caused a lot of angst and a lot of – it got very emotional very quickly for a lot of people, and it just hasn't seemed to catch up yet. But as it gets more serious, I think we're up to – 15 cases here now as that starts to climb who knows when it'll turn or what or where what is the turning point i guess is the real question for us right now so at this point your hospitals your medical uh, uh centers have not felt the kind of stress that we're seeing up here in some of the metro atlanta hospitals or down there in albany but they're bracing for it is i think what you're telling us Absolutely, they're bracing for it. I'm looking at the case count now. Chatham County is at 16 as of last night at 7 o'clock. And then Effingham and Bryan County, which are our neighboring counties, is another 11. So you're looking at 27 confirmed cases. But like a lot of places in the state, I think the, the telling thing here is not a whole lot of testing is being done. They're very much rationing the testing in order to prioritize the testing. And as more test kits become available... And as efforts ramp up, I think you're going to see that. We've seen it everywhere else. I think you're going to see that number climb pretty rapidly. And the hospitals, there's there's three hospitals in Savannah. And I think they're all three ready. But I guess time will tell. So, Patricia and Jim, I, I want to get you two in this part of the conversation. Um, we saw the landscape change dramatically, I think, over the weekend when President Trump went from saying he wanted to reopen the country by Easter uh, to saying uh, he, uh, in fact, advised communities around the country uh, to shelter in place uh, of, until the end of April. And uh, he, for the first time, seemed to acknowledge that we could have up to uh, 200,000 deaths, which is what Dr. Fauci had projected at the high end, 100,000 to 200,000 deaths. And so, uh, Patricia and then Jim, I wonder how this makes an impact we talked an awful lot on the show about whether the state is going to take action uh, across the board 
to uh, issue an order for everyone to shelter in place. And I wonder if this might change the calculation that a Governor Kemp makes. He doesn't have the cover that the White House has been giving him when he says he'd like to be able to preserve commerce in some parts of the state that aren't affected by the by the virus. What do you think, Patricia? Well, I think that um, Governor Kemp has actually been ahead of the president on this. When the governor extended school closures through April 24th, I think that was an acknowledgement that this is going to last at least through the end of April. Um, And that was, quite frankly, without the uh, backup publicly of the White House. White House was still saying, well, maybe next Monday. So I think the governor does have this balance between what's coming out of the White House And what we know he's hearing from smaller towns when they say, we just don't have this problem here. This does not exist in our county. Um, Although, to Adam's point, nobody knows what exists in any county without widespread testing. And so um, there is a real reluctance to deepen the economic impact of what we all know is about to happen. Um, Most companies are dreading these Uh, second quarter results of uh, sales, of um, income, and uh, any small business you talk to, the conversation is, how much longer can I pay my people? When do I have to fire them? Is it tomorrow? Is it a week from now? Is it the end of March? And this is a balancing act that's also going to, of course, affect the state budget as well. Um, And so I think, you know, Governor Kemp has a very difficult situation that he's in. Um, Most public health experts see it more clearly, um, and he's getting that input as well. Jim? Yeah, you know, I, I I don't think Governor Kemp ever bought into the Easter return by Easter message. Uh, I mean, if you'll recall, he had yeah. a, he had a a, a uh, conference call with about eight hundred uh, clergy uh, last week, and and he didn't say. It himself, but uh, but Kathleen Toomey got on the line and told him that look it, at, at the center of every hot spot in Georgia is a religious service, uh, and 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 y'all need to take care of that, and and so I I I I think I'm I'm like Patricia I don't think he ever I, I he was sending all sorts of signals that he he never expected this to be done by April twelfth, but. I think you do have a, a, he he is trying to grapple uh with and and this situation with his chief of staff I think reflects that he's trying to grapple with the with the, with the fact that there is a political division uh in this coronavirus that that the true the the horrendous hotspots are occurring in in democratic areas. I mean, like this within the city of Albany, that's a democratic area. Uh, the city of Savannah is a democratic uh, city. Atlanta is a democratic city. It's it's less pervasive in in rural, mostly Republican uh, counties. So it's, uh, so so there is there is a, a line to be walked there. Uh, well, of course, Adam. We should point out that. Um... Jim's, Jim's absolutely correct about the, the, the spread of the virus in, in some ways being uh, layered on a map of who voted for who for president in 2016. We should point out that largely that's because the rural areas that did vote for Trump are much more sparsely populated. There are communities where people don't necessarily have as much uh, intimate contact with one another day to day. There's there's more room to breathe, so to speak. So uh I wouldn't want any of our listeners to think somehow that 
that the virus is picking on Democrats rather than Republicans, Adam. And I know Jim obviously doesn't think that either. But um, but he it, it is interesting. And maybe maybe I'm Patricia and Jim both make me aware that um, my expectation for a shutdown of the state by uh, order by the governor may be not balancing the fact that he does want the state, Adam, to be able to recover and come back financially at some point. I get that that's a difficult issue to try to deal with, Adam. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, the executive editor and I had a conference call with the with the governor last Thursday, and that's that's one thing he talked about because we we segued into the economy. We of course talked about the ports and tourism, which are the two which are two of the big pillars here. And the ports are are doing fine. I think uh, we saw a centerpiece in the AJC this morning that that kind of spoke to the activity there. But the service industry has just has just been gutted. And I think the governor is is trying to balance the whole idea of of shutting things down to try to contain the virus, but not shutting things down to the point that the economy completely stops. I, I know here in the city of Savannah, the estimate is that the city loses something like 100 or 130 or $140,000 a day in city tax revenue. And if you think about that on the state level, I, you know, I heard the speaker last week on the show talking about the state budget and, and, and mentioning the teacher pay raise and mentioning the, the income tax cut that were part of the initial uh, budget that passed out of the House before they suspended the session. And it's just when they come back, I I, I don't even want to think about what the what the state revenue projections are going to be then and what kind of impact it's going to have. But again, that's that's something that we can't focus too highly on at this point because we got to worry about saving lives. And certainly you look around the country and see the the toll that it's taking. It's 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 pretty sobering and pretty scary. Jim. Hey, Adam. Yes, sir. I uh, got, got a question for you here. Uh, back in February, <clears throat> the first really big signal of, of some, uh, something uh, that this was going to be uh, a major influence in our lives was a report uh, by the, the uh, Port of Savannah, the, the, the Port Authority there, that, that traffic coming into the port was going to decrease by 30, maybe even 40 uh, percent. That was right. in February. What, 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 are, what are the numbers showing? It came in about 20% was the final, and it's starting. It's starting to pick up as the shipping has come, has picked up back out of China. Uh, I live on the island, so every morning it's kind of become a little bit of a ritual of mine to take a, a drive over to, um, a, a, basically a causeway where you look over the river channel, and there's ships steadily clump, coming in. I think that from what the ports director Griff Lynch said last week was they had this two to four week window where things slowed down, but now it's picking up and it's gradually going to build. It's interesting that in February, they did set a monthly, or at least a, for the month of February, an all time record in terms of, of cargo. Obviously March, they're not gonna have that, but it'll be curious to see as we as we go forward, April and May, what the results are. And of course, import is part of it, the export is the other part. And I think that's what we don't know at this point is what it's going to do in terms of exports going out of the going out of the port. So that's the next crisis, Jim, coming up uh, well after we, you know, let's say we get through June and the curve is flattened and we're all returning to our normal lives. The economic crisis uh, still looms ahead of us as small businesses find they can't reopen. They don't have the resources to do it. We, we presumably are going to get some 
there will be money from the $2 trillion package that Congress passed and the White House, uh, the president signed late last week. Uh, we also know that there's a now uh, dis- essentially disaster relief that the feds have approved to send to Georgia. But uh, that's the story we're all going to be talking about, I suspect, in, in j- late June and July, Jim. Yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a very very rough summer fiscally. Uh, at at uh, we had we had uh, House Speaker David Ralston on the show for, on Friday. He was he's he's basically saying you know, when when the legislature finally gets back into session, it's it's going to have to completely rewrite that budget uh, and dump those yep. dump the pay raises for teachers that uh, Governor Kemp had had proposed, dump the income tax cut that the, that he that the speaker himself had 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 insisted on uh it's it's going to be a different world well you know what that's a great time for us to take a break because when we come back i do want to talk a little bit about some of the things that speaker ralston said on our show on friday uh we'll do that with uh adam van brimmer patricia murphy and jim galloway after we pause for this break Tom Faust told me during the break that uh, Bo Duro, the mayor of Albany, uh, told him after he got off our air that he'd love to come back sometime in a week or so. He wants to keep our listeners filled in on what's happening down in Savannah. So we'll see about that. And let's hope uh, his city doesn't continue to grow as one of the worst hotspots in the world. Uh, Patricia, um, one of the things that David Ralston said on our show on Friday was that he wants the Georgia primaries to be moved to late June. Brad Raffensperger, we know, the Secretary of State, had moved them from March 24th to May 19th, the same day, the presidential preference primary, that is, the same day as all the other primaries. Uh, David Rawson said he doesn't think that's enough, good enough. He worries about the health of the volunteer poll workers, who are mostly older people. He worries about turnout because he believes people like to vote in the traditional way going to the polling places. Well, over the weekend, Raffensperger essentially rejected that and said, nope, we're going to go ahead with May 19th. And the speaker responded to that and said, no, we should do it in June. Is this really, is this squabble likely to continue? Or, I mean, Raffensperger does have the right to set the, the date, right? He has the right to set the date. Um, I believe there may be a legislative maneuver possible to vote to move a primary, but without a legislature in session, I don't think that's possible. So I think that's why the speaker is using a public forum to try and influence this decision. And I think the problem with the May 19th deadline is that uh, even the president now is moving his own deadlines back and back and back. So it's Uh, the end of March. No, we're going to have a lockdown a little bit further on. Is it Easter? No, it's going to be later. Um, The schools at the the state level are, we're pushing those deadlines back. So there's no guarantee that the state is going to be up and running by May 19th for a poll worker to show up. Will there be a lockdown in their own city or in uh, county or locality? Um, Other states that have gone ahead with their decisions to hold their primaries like Illinois and Florida have seen a big not a, a downturn in their own turnout. And so I think the concern about turnout is very real. Um, Raffensperger has said that he plans to mail a an absentee ballot request form to every voter, but that requires two steps. So you have to request your absentee ballot, 
and then you have to vote and you have to put a stamp on that two times. <laughs> and that is a lot of work yeah. for people to do compared to just walking into the polling station. And so I think the concerns about turnout are very real and the concern about poll workers um, even being able to show up are very serious as well. And other states like uh, Kentucky and Indiana have decided to move already from May to June. And so other states are making these decisions right now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Adam. Uh, the president, although the president said he wanted people to maintain social distancing uh, uh, through April now, uh, actually, uh, he also, you know, in a kind of an offhand remark, point it's talked about June being when perhaps we could really open things up again so Patricia's point is well taken that May 19th unless you're going to vote uh, absentee uh, which the Secretary of State is obviously hoping people will do it will really suppress turnout at the polls and make it maybe hard for people to vote if poll workers can't show up yeah it's it's really a fascinating conundrum uh, from from my perspective, I you know I did some research last week, and the average age of a poll worker in Georgia is, is like 70 years old, and and there it is as somebody, the folks that vote consistently, it's it's very traditional, it's very comfortable, it's it's something they look forward to, not just casting the vote, but the whole process of voting. But at the same time, it does make you think about okay, do we need to to alter how we do this uh, mail-in ballots? I, I looked it up this morning. There's there's five states that do mail-in only ballots, and voter turnout has gone up in those states since they went went and did that. And obviously, I'm sure they had some marketing campaigns and and really rolled it out slowly and, and purposefully. And this is not one of those cases. But you know, the other whole side of this is that this election in May or June or whenever it is is going to be our first experience with this new voting system. And when they push the presidential primary and, and piggybacked it on top of this ballot that at least around here is is full and it, it reads like the phone book this is going to be really complicated and if co if poll workers are vulnerable i don't think they're going to be I, I think you see a lot of people that would have volunteered to poll work not volunteer to do it this time because of their age or just out of general caution and it's i i don't know what's going to happen whenever we go to the polls but i think it, it's going to be pretty sloppy uh, Jim Galloway, you're more than welcome to weigh in on that, but I also want to get to a story that you posted in the Jolt about Kelly Leffler. So take your choice. Uh, okay, well, uh, I, I, I'll do both. I, I, it's not this is not either or. Uh, first of all, first of all, the one thing I would say is is to is, to, to Adam is is in and, and to Patricia too is I I would throw in here that elections aren't aren't kind of spur of the moment things. You cannot get to. A, a uh, get to May 18th and decide whether you're going to have a May 19th uh, vote. That, ha- that right. it's, it's 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 something that takes a whole lot of planning, a whole lot of staffing, uh, a whole lot of technical expertise because you're going to have to decide. You're going to have to create ballots that differentiate between uh, between people who have already cast a vote in the say the Democratic presidential primary and those who have not. So that's that's it's it's this is going to be very very complicated. Now. On to Ms. Leffler. Uh, CNN is reporting this morning that that uh, the U.S. Justice Department has begun an investigation into uh, 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 stock trading by members of the U.S. Senate. Uh, 
the focus appears to be on Richard Burr of, of North Carolina and not on uh, but uh, and Ms. Leffler says that she has not yet been contacted by by any any anybody in law enforcement. But this 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 is not going away, Patricia Murphy, this story. No. What typically happens after a story like this breaks that a senator or House member has been trading stocks or doing something that could resemble something like insider trading, um, it's typically an ethics investigation. That ethics investigation is drawn out for many years, and it's a way to say, oh, this is under investigation. Um, It's being looked into and I'm fine with it, is what the typical response is. Once the Justice Department gets involved, that is a whole different level of seriousness. And the fact that a Justice Department under President Trump is getting involved in this, I think, is an additional point of um, of real concern for anybody who's involved in this or who has been. Um, it's a, a big red flag. It, this is very unusual that the Justice Department would get involved Uh, this soon after a potential trade and uh, supersede the ethics investigations. Those investigations, which um, uh, the senator from North Carolina asked to happen, those will be put on hold and the Justice Department will take um, full control of this. And it's a very serious matter. I I do want to be careful and reemphasize what Galloway just said, Adam. Um, the uh, uh, CNN is reporting on uh, Richard Burr specifically that the Justice Department wants to look into him. And I do want to emphasize that the Leffler uh, Senate office insists that she has not and none of them have been contacted about this thus far. Obviously, this is a developing story. We'll see as other news organizations uh, pick this up and try to report more details about it, Adam. But I want to be careful here. Uh, we have no idea where uh, Kelly Leffler actually stands with the Justice Department right now. Yeah, and I think it's important to, to also note that the Burr is a little bit different, right? I mean, he he came out in response to this, and and almost his his comment from his spokesperson almost read like a confession in, in terms of of the stock trades. And unlike Leffler and Feinstein and some of the others who basically said, "Hey, you know, we we have an arm's length arrangement," the advisors. They, they work my portfolio. I don't have any kind of contact with them. I don't worry about it. Burr, it, it didn't appear that that it, that is the case. So, but again, the Justice Department is going to start with with the biggest fire, and that's and that's Burr. And who knows once they start digging into his, what they turn up and and where they go from here. That's that's kind of the way the legal profession works, right? Is you start at one place and you go where it leads you, and it may lead to Leffler. All right. That's final word for today's Political Rewind. Adam Van Brimmer, you get it. Uh, and appreciate your joining us from down there in Savannah. Uh, Patricia Murphy, always love having you with us on the show. And by the way, loved seeing you the other night on the town meeting that all of the TV stations in the state uh, carried as uh, you asked the governor and others questions. Uh, good, We were thrilled that you were part of that, Patricia. And Jim Galloway. Good to have you with us. We'll see you again for Friday's Political Rewind as we continue to spend more of our time talking coronavirus than than the uh, political uh, shows that we typically do. And we'll keep that up as long as we need to. I'm Bill Nygut. See you again tomorrow. <laughs>